God One Ministries would like to humbly thank our gracious supporter, Heritage Roofing Incorporated, for today's show, and also for being our partner in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Welcome to the Apostles' Call. We're coming to you today from Ephesians 4. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Friends, family, and partners, join us now as we journey into the Word of God. Hello, and welcome to the Apostles' Call. I am Rufus Burton, the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Martinsburg, West Virginia. My co-host, the Apostle R.C., is away today, but I'm joined by our very special guest, Pastor Steve Mohn. Steve, it's great to be with you this morning. It's great to be here, sir. So glad you could join us. And again, this morning, we'd like to begin with a dedication to the God One Business Association. This is a group of businesses that help us to take the word of the Lord and the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighborhood, our region, and to a dying world. We greatly appreciate your efforts on our behalf. We appreciate your support. It's nice to know that there are business men and women in the community committed to the advance of the cause of Jesus Christ. And so today we find ourselves in the third chapter of Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Paul is writing to the Philippians from prison. And in writing the Philippians, he's writing to a church that is thriving in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so Paul is describing the faith that he has, the faith that makes him one with Jesus Christ, as he encourages the Philippians to press on through persecution and press on to the goal that is Jesus Christ. And so from Philippians chapter 3, beginning at the 10th verse. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Well, Steve, just recently we spoke about intimacy with God and the knowledge that's required to be um, intimate with the Lord. Say more about that or a, a, a time when you grew, particularly in knowledge that that grew you to be nearer to the Lord and higher in your Christian privileges. It, it amazes me with this scripture, and, and I'm glad we brought this scripture out today, because Paul, if we look at Paul's life, we know for a fact that Paul was saved. We know for a fact that Paul loved God. We know that Paul was serving God. And in his writings, he says that I may know him. Well, we know that Paul knows God. But he's talking about a 
intimate knowledge of God. He's talking about a greater revelation and intimacy with God than what he already has. And by him saying that he hasn't already obtained or knowing that even though no matter where I am with God right now, I can be closer. And and showing us in his writings that we need to strive to know God in an intimate and, and personal way. Oh, I, I think you're right. It's because so much of our Christian life, indeed our entire Christian life, depends on our union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. It's so important to know the Lord, to know Jesus, to know God the Father, to know the Holy Spirit. And this isn't just kind of a, a book knowledge or, you know, it's some kind of cheesy philosophical learning. This is really knowing Christ as, as the Savior and knowing all the stories about him that we can. And, and it's not about, okay, I got saved, I know God, and that's it. And Paul is explaining that I'm not acting like I've already obtained the resurrection. It's an ongoing process until we take our last breath and leave this earthly realm to be with our Father. But we want to make sure that we maintain that intimate relationship with God before we leave this earth. Mm -hmm. You know, um, not that we, oh, I got saved and I know God and okay, I'm good. No, he said, that's not the case. Paul said, wait a minute. I'm not going to act like I've already obtained this. I'm not going to act like I'm perfect. He said, I know that I want to know God in an intimate, the most intimate, the most perfect way that I possibly can. One of the ways this came home to me was, was several years ago. I was watching a video from an Old Testament professor in, in Michigan. One of the points he made was that often the, the fans of musicians will find every last recording they've ever made. They'll get the bootleg CD or they'll go, you know, to some crazy bookstore hole in the wall to find that last bit of vinyl that they need to make their collection complete. And they're always looking out for stuff that, you know, has escaped them or a previously unknown recording or a lost session where they finally found the tapes. And so as Christians, we tend to know the New Testament fairly well. We tend to know the parables. We can name them, you know, so we all know that the, you know, the parable of the prodigal son, and we can kind of talk about it in his life, or um, uh, the parable of the seed thrower, or, you know, we'll rename it the parable of the so soils, and, and, and we'll, we'll know these, these stories. This Old Testament professor was saying, well, what if I told you that there was yet more about Jesus in the Old Testament. Would you come with me to learn about that? And I thought, oh, immediately. I'd, you know, I'd absolutely go there. And this little video is a brief walk through the appearance of the, the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament. So here's the, um, this messenger from God who receives worship. And in the Old Testament, it's very clear that only the Lord receives worship. So there's something special about this one, but it opened up whole new vistas for me to see Christ in the whole text from Genesis to Revelation. And it was important in my knowledge of him, not just as some kind of first century Jew who's doing good work, uh, 
but really as my Lord and Savior, as the second person of the Trinity, as the wisdom of creation. It opened up all these new vistas, and I was really then able to see him as the wisdom of creation and to know that when the Lord says, all of God's promises are yea and amen in Christ, what what that means. And so, I mean, that was just a time when for me, growing in knowledge bore tremendous fruit. And it is still my wish that I would know Christ better, that I would know my Bible better. But the reason to know my Bible better is to know Christ better and in all his fullness. So is that some of what we're getting at when we talk about intimacy or um, what helps us find intimacy with the Lord? For me, it's researching in the text and dissecting the text to see all of the facets involved in the scriptures. It might be Jesus's attitude. It might be where they are. It might be who he's speaking with at the time, you know, just dissecting all the facets of the scriptures to get an oversight. You know, a lot of times we just read over the scriptures and we're all guilty of it. You know, we're, we, we don't always dissect the word of God, but I'm, I'm a very, uh, my wife says I'm OCD, but I like to take it and break it up and, and just dissect it to see what we could get out of it. Because, uh, we miss so much in the word of God. And just when I think that I have a full understanding of God, he blows me away with a brand new revelation. And you know, every revival that's ever been recorded always started and was birthed out of intimacy with God in prayer, as we spoke about not too long ago, in that intimate time with God. And it's not so much. For me, the intimacy with God is a time when I can unload what is inside of me so that God can say, son, that's not so good, or son, that's okay, or, you know, and so God can deal with me in his way, and we need people to speak into our lives, but then we need God to speak too, because God can say more in five seconds than any man could ever tell me for the rest of my life. Um, when God downloads into you personally and intimately, it's amazing. Um, I've tried to write that fast, but it didn't work too good. And I've tried to articulate the words and, and the way that God had dumped it into my spirit, but I couldn't do it because nobody can speak like him. Nobody can teach like him. So I think it's important to go directly to the source. And that's why I believe that intimacy is what brings us to a closer relationship with our creator. Sure. Oh, I, I, I've noticed that in my own life as well. I mean, it is, it is really something when uh, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds and, you know, it, Sometimes in my experience, that, that took a long time. I mean, I, I learned some lessons slow and hard. And so you just kind of keep repeating the page. And, you know, and, and I, I find those mildly frustrating. But then 
you know, learning comes, right? You, um, the Lord reaches into that hole and shows you the way out. So the next time you're down it, lo and behold, you can find the way out. But other times that learning happens fast, you know, whole new vistas in just a few moments. And what I have found, and this is where I resonate with what Paul is talking about here in Philippians 3, is that it's been those moments of clarity about the person and work of Jesus Christ that have been most transforming. So that when I understand him and his message and his call better, that's when I'm able to understand myself, my Christian life, and my call in this world. And yeah, it's, it's what drives me to the text because, you know, when we know Jesus, then we want to spend time with Jesus. And you, you want to love, serve, and follow him because he is a remarkable Savior. Amen. And I like what Paul said, not only in the good times, but also in his sufferings. Jesus suffered. He, he paid a price for us, for our salvation, for our freedom, liberty. And Paul said, I want to join with him in his sufferings. That's a servant's heart. And so he's telling it by his writings, Paul's telling me that that's, that's what we need. We need a servant's heart to be willing to serve even through suffering. People aren't always going to like us. People aren't always going to agree with us. And, and we're going to go through some things. And even through all of his struggles and tribulations and trials, you know, as the text says, I want to, he, it never deterred him. It never stopped him. He didn't complain about it. Paul just said, I, I want to join with him. I want to suffer with him. And I think that that's an important lesson for me. And it was very profound in my life when I'd gone through some things and I, and I've suffered some things in my life, but knowing that it was all for a cause and all for a purpose definitely made it easier to go through. Sure. I think, one of the points we're making is that as the servants of the servant Lord, I mean, we've been, we've been called friends, but we're still servants of the, of the servant Lord, is that our lives take on the shape of his life. And so this is some of what Jesus is on about when he tells us um, we'll have to take up our cross and follow him. And I think that's what Paul's getting at when he talks about his sufferings. I mean, so what Paul really wants in union with Christ is a cross-shaped life. And the funny thing about a cross-shaped life is that it doesn't desire desire for desire's sake. And I mean, that's much of what's behind the commercialist culture of, of, our, of our age. It's just the desire of desire. Well, he doesn't desire Christ just to desire Christ. He desires Christ because he is his great God and Savior, that he knows that he's in need of salvation. I mean, so that some of what comes to mind is um, Isaiah 42, which is the, the longest quotation in um, Matthew's gospel comes from Isaiah 42. 
And so in Isaiah 41, the prophet's on about kind of the idolatry. And, you know, we're all captive to idolatry. And this is some of what we spoke about in terms of prayer and what Paul knows is the antidote to idolatry. Idolatry is knowledge. And so the Lord then sends his servant, who is the, um, who's the answer to human idolatry and the brokenness of the human heart, right? Behold my servant whom I uphold. And he says this about that servant, the prophet does. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And that's one of the tremendous things I think that there is to know about the Lord Jesus is that he won't discard a bruised reed. I mean, so reeds were easily available, used all kinds of way around the house as, you know, flooring for cleaning, whatever. And, you know, the instant one was broken or tarnished or dirty, you threw it out. They're easily replaceable. Uh, a styrofoam cup, right? Well, here we are as his servants. And, you know, but what are we but bruised reeds, used cups, faintly burning wicks. I mean, we, we smoke and we smolder. But one of the things to know about Jesus is that he will not discard a bruised reed, won't discard us in, in all of our weakness and all of our frailty. And he won't quench our lamp. I mean, so that some of what we are as Christians is a light to the world. And frankly, you know, my light, you know, it, it sputters, you know, it, it, it flickers, it wavers, you know, it, um, the wick needs constant attention. And until I had to tend candles in church, I really didn't understand what that means. But, but wicks are finicky, finicky things. And you've, you've got to get them right. They've got to work right. But here's the Lord who will not quench our wick. And so, you know, who doesn't want to know more about him and who doesn't want to be nearer to the throne of, to the throne of grace? And so, um, Steve, in, in your experience, what are some of the, the best ways to um, uh, pursue that kind of intimacy? Are there particular passages that you go to or are there particular habits or, or disciplines that you have to ensure that um, you're nurturing that relationship as, as best you can? Well, for me, it's definitely prayer and reading and seeking God's face. Um, but definitely in this scripture, I think what, what I like and what you're talking about is Paul was bringing out a point that he wanted to relate to God. You know, Jesus went through everything he went through because he wanted to relate to us. It's hard to have a friend that you can't relate to. If you can't relate to somebody, how can you have a relationship? Because if I don't know how you're feeling or what you're going through or why you feel the way you feel, it's hard to relate. So, so Jesus, he said, there's nothing we could go through that he hasn't experienced or gone through himself so that he can relate to us. Well, now Paul says, I want to relate to God. I want to join in his sufferings. I want to, so he can relate to our Savior. And I think relating to, to God is important in my life because 
I know that without him, I have no love. I know in the past, of course, we've talked about it on the show. I I met with RC and we, we had a show on, I fell. I was a minister. I was a preacher and I fell. And I went through a dry time and it, it gutted me that I did not have that intimate personal relationship with Christ. That was the hardest thing for me to deal with. Um, it was devastating. I fell into a state of depression that was, I can't even explain, but that's how precious that that intimacy with God is to me. Um, it, it sustains me. It's, it, it, it's where I want to be constantly. Um, so I protect that whether it takes me two hours to get there in the morning or 10 minutes until I find that intimate place with God and enter into that and able to commune with God, I won't leave my house. I, I think that's a, that's a very encouraging word. Because I, th- I think many of us have the impression that this kind of communion with God, this, this fellowship with the Lord is kind of, cookie cutter. You know, if I wake up and read Oswald Chambers, I'll be fine. Now, it's a good discipline. I mean, it's good to have a devotional discipline, but often, you know, we can keep ourselves in the the muck of our lives despite reading devotionally. I knew someone once who had the habit of, uh, you know, reading their Bible devotionally and, um, uh, it became a race for them. So they just, you know, they'd sit down Sunday and read their devotions for the week so they didn't have to read the rest of the week, which is not, which is patently not the point of devotional reading, but is to be in the text and out of yourself and find freedom then there. And so when Paul talks about the power of his resurrection, he's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, who's, who's present still in our lives, and is the one who unites us to Christ, is the one who brings us to all truth. You know, and sometimes, you know, our, our communion with God waxes and wanes. And so it's, an, I think you're right. I mean, it's a well-made point to take the time that's necessary to, to nurture that relationship. I mean, that's one of the things that always mystified me as a kid was when adults would say things like, marriages take work. <laughs> You know, and I, I'd think, oh, well, you know, it just takes, you know, a, a preacher in a couple hours. I don't know what y'all are talking about. And, you know, and then I got married and realized that, lo and behold, you know, it, it, it takes work. And like all good work, it takes the time that it takes. You know, and maybe it's because as a culture, we've monetized time or, you know, you've, you've got to get results. But you know, good relationships take the time that they take. And in particular, our, our relationship with the Lord takes that time as well. I, I agree 100%. You know, and I don't want to create this illusion for, for those that are listening that, you know, it's just a piece of cake and it's simple and it's all, this is the format and 10 steps to a relationship with God. And it's not like that, you know, with God, our society, our culture that we live in, it, it's like dominoes. If you don't get it in 30 minutes, it's free, right? 
Well, you don't get anything with God in 30 minutes, you know, especially when you got him on a time schedule. He's the creator of the universe. He's going to take his time, and, and he's going to make sure that you understand that it's his time because it's not ours. It's in his time. And, um, you know, we, we have to be careful in, in our shuffle and, and buffle of everyday life that, that we don't lose focus, that we're living in his world. You know, if we're in relationship with God, it's his time and, and it's all about him, not about us. And, and the only way I can manage to do that is to refocus every day, renewing that focus on God and not on Steve and my problems, because my God has to be, like Isaiah said, I see God high lifted up. He has to be above all my problems. And I can't see my God if my problems are in my way. So I need my God to be bigger than my problems and focus on my God and not focus on my problems. And I find that hard to do if I don't spend that time to refocus on him every day before I start. Sure. And I think that's one of the important things about a relationship with the Lord, our communion with God, is that um, as it does wax and wane, it can hit, it can hit bumps in the road. I mean, like, like all relationships, there's, there's resilience in yeah. the relationship. And so, you know, in the midst of a, of the crosses and losses of life or in the, in the, in the midst of some kind of crisis, um, when we've built enough of a relationship with the Lord that that crisis isn't, isn't threatening, we can return to the routine. But if we've got a brittle relationship with the Lord, then the instant there's, there's a bump, um, it becomes difficult. I mean, the, the thing that comes to mind is that, um, you know, I have sons, and several of the sons played basketball. And the game they were playing at the YMCA was the same game that the NBA players are playing. And, you know, the rules are the same. The skills, the basics, the essentials are the same. But, you know, the older players, the more mature players, have been able to embody that game or inhabit that game much more skillfully than the kids who are just starting. So, too, with the Christian life. You know, so this is kind of an encouragement to persist that, um, you know, not all the mature saints, not all those who stand tall in the faith began there. You know, I mean, it's, you know, what we want to take in a leap was, you know, many years of small steps and, and quiet, steady discipleship. My goodness, definitely, because I, and I'll be quick, but I know that there's times when I don't want to pray and I don't have the desire to pray, but I have to because I want to maintain that relationship. with God. Yeah. And so this is the relationship we're offering to you. If you'd like peace in your life, if you would like to know the promises of Christ in your life, if you'd like to know more about him, if you'd like to know the, the meaning that life can and does have. If you'd like your life directed by the Lord and God of the universe, and not by the whims and the desires of the latest fads of what's out there, we're inviting you, come and learn more about Jesus Christ. On behalf of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. 
Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Amen. In business, you've got enough issues hanging over your head. Worrying about your roof shouldn't be one of them. So Heritage Roofing has you covered. Whether it's putting a new roof on right or properly inspecting and upkeeping your existing one, we know your roof from top to bottom. Did you know one out of three roofs never reach their life expectancy? And almost half of all premature roofing failures are due to poor workmanship. That's why periodic inspections and routine maintenance can increase the life of any roof system by up to 50%. We take photos before we start and after we're finished. It's like bringing the roof to you. Heritage also offers complete inspections of our work before, during, and after the project. Even if we didn't put the roof on, we're happy to do your inspection. Our job is to make sure your roof does its job. Heritage roofers, inspectors, and estimators are up to date before we ever go up on your roof. We take classes on the latest safety codes, we earn certifications, we understand the latest technology, and we know whether manufacturer's warranties are available for your roof. Our lead inspector is one of only a few hundred registered roof consultants in the entire country. And our master technicians have been recognized with three national awards. Heritage Roofing is trusted throughout the four-state area for all types of commercial roof installation and repair. From corporate and industrial to government agencies, boards of education, financial institutions, healthcare facilities, places of worship, and more. For prompt, reliable, high-quality repairs, Heritage Roofing has raised the standard. We exceed the commercial service industry standard, and we've earned our reputation as service industry leaders. Your business has to keep its eye on the bottom line. So when it comes to your roof, put us on top of it. Heritage Roofing.